Uh, we're excited. This is our last week in our series, Disciple. Uh, this week has been, or this series has been a good one, uh, shorter than most of our longer series in the books of the Bible, like Hebrews, which uh, we'll be kind of finishing up over the next six to eight weeks uh, as we prepare for Easter. But this series has really been uh, a personal one. It's been a personal series. It's, it's about Jesus, who He is, all that He's accomplished in our lives, and how He's restructured our values, what's most important to us, and then uh, our personal relationship to Him. Okay, So that's been the focus of this series. And over the last five or so weeks, we've talked about your hearing and responding to the Gospel. Your hearing and responding to the Gospel. We've talked about your pursuit of God in the Word and prayer. Right, Disciples pursue God in the Word and prayer. We've talked about your relationships. Uh, Tim uh, preached on Galatians chapter 5 about how the fact that disciples are those who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in all their relationships. We've talked about your grace story, how the Gospels worked the gospel, uh, grace into your heart in such a way that, that the nature of that grace is one that's told, that we're called to tell others, that disciples of Jesus share their grace story in both the Word and in their deeds. Last week, we talked about serving, right? That disciples serve out of their spiritual giftedness. That it's not about our fulfillment and us feeling good about ourselves. That it's really about the glory of God in meeting the needs of others. This has been the focus. How you can take a look at the gospel and respond to it. Respond to the gospel with specific uh, uh, actions in your life that are very much connected to your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay? So we're going to wrap that up today. We're never going to talk about your personal relationship with Jesus ever again. That was a joke, <laughs> obviously. But today, you know what? We're going to talk about everybody's favorite discipleship topic. Money. Uh, stewardship is about all of life, pal, not just my money. Yes, it is. But that's not a way out to talking about something that has a direct line to the state of our heart before God. Money. Today, we're going to talk about stewardship. Yes, in principle, that is all of life. Many of the things that we've already talked about in these five weeks. right? Last week, in some ways, we're talking about the stewardship of time of talent, of relationships in the body, of relationships outside of the body. In many ways, we've touched on many of those things that are very important, that are God-given things. We've talked about how we steward those things that are not really our own fundamentally, that really are gifts of God to be stewarded. But today, as we talk about the stewardship of all of our life, we're going to talk about the one that makes you the most uncomfortable and messes with your life in many ways, the most. At least for most of us. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Today. And that's a mid-90s rap song reference for you. That dates me a little bit. Dates some of you, too, that are frustrated that I brought that up. Right? Isn't that that rap music? Yes, it is. 
It's all about the Benjamins today. It's about money. And this is really important because Jesus talks about money on a number of occasions, doesn't He? And when He talks about money, He connects it to our heart. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The the way that we interact with resources, money, every dollar and cent in our pocket is related to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Those two are connected inherently, right? So we have to talk about it whether we want to or not. And the truth is, we're gonna, we don't talk about it that much here, do we? Some people have even said, how come you're not talking about money? Right? There's a little bit of a, in this, in this gospel-centered Jesus and, and, and focus on Christ, and that's where always our focus is going to be. On Jesus, on His work in the gospel, and all of that, that oftentimes, and even you think about the context in which we live, where many people are shying away from that because the emphasis has always been, and you hear the complaints of the people of this world, all you want is my money. Right? That's all your church wants from me. We've seen that time and time again, prayer walking. Uh, No thanks. And you talk about why people don't want to interact with you when you knock on their door or maybe want to engage them in a spiritual conversation because you're coming from a church is because it's their idea that the only reason that you're showing up there is because you want their money. That the way the church has engaged the world has been to manipulate and to, to get income into the church so that they can use the money for whatever the pastor and the leadership in the church is trying to accomplish or build or whatever. So I, I think it's fair to say that we live in a society that is skeptical every time the church talks about money. Am I right or am I wrong? But just because we have abuses doesn't mean that we should shy away from talking about something that is very significant and inherently connected to our walk with Jesus Christ. right? And so we bring it up today, not to manipulate you, not because the budget has some issues. We bring it up to you today because we love you. And we care deeply about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And therefore, it matters to us how you worship or don't worship with your resources. Right? So that's what today is all about. It's about stewardship. Disciples steward all of life to the glory of God and the good of others. And they do so by giving. Right? There are only three things that you can do with money. Okay? And some of you is going to challenge me on this, I'm sure, at some point. But you can spend money, you can save money, or you can give money. Right? So you can only steward money in the way that you spend it, the way you save it, or the way that you give it. Okay? That's my, I'm going on that, whether you like it or not. Okay? So today we're going to talk about stewarding includes giving. If you're not giving in any way, shape, or form, you're not stewarding. Right? That that stewarding and giving are inextricably linked as well. So we're going to talk about giving today. What the foundation of our giving is and what influences the way that we give And ultimately, what are we wanting as a result? The end game of every dollar that we let go of in giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15. Open your Bibles. Track with me a little bit. Let's see if we can plow through this in a reasonable amount of time so that you can get up to the Steelers game a little bit later. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. This is God's word. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that is upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to propose that there are three approaches to life, and specifically three basic approaches to how we use and interact with the money or resources that we have. The first one is the ownership approach. Mine. Right? What is that? Was that is that a typical word in the daily house? Yeah, it's one in the Maisie house as well. Interesting, and I have a feeling it's one that's used in all of your homes. This is mine, right? This is mine. The ownership approach. Really, the owner says, "All that I have came from me." Right, sole rights. All of this that we enjoy, it's because of my hard work. It's because of my blood, sweat, and tears. I worked for it. I earned it. I made it. It's mine. That's the owner mentality. Kind of the the self-made men that we see and prize in society or women. Uh, No one has helped me. I made it happen. Nobody ever made it easy. Everything that I enjoy today is the result of me. And it's all because of me. The owner mentality. Some of you here may be struggling with an owner mentality. This is my time. This is my life. This is my money. The second one is the consumer approach, right? Consumers approach all that they have by saying this. All I have exists for me, right? All that I have is existing for my pleasure, for my joy, right? All that is in my reach or in my pocket or in my account, or with, it's all so that I am happy in the moment. I think we underestimate 
even as we approach church, worship, community, relationships, we underestimate the power of the consumer approach to every aspect of our lives. We are by nature, in an American culture, consumers, aren't we? You should say, yes, we are. You don't even realize how much of a consumer that you are. And so we as a people, because we are consumers, subtly or overtly, we're the kind of people that are always thinking, how can I have, or how can I use what I have to make me happier in the moment? Consume, spend, use for temporal joy. But here, we see a completely different approach as we look at the Macedonian example. So, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are a plea to the church in Corinth to treat their resources in a generous way on account of the example of the church of Macedonia and on account of the example of Jesus Christ Himself. There was great need in the church. Great need in the Jerusalem church. And there was collections taken for the good and the meeting of the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And so Paul and all of his uh, his buddies and his partners in the gospel were going around and taking up offerings from other places, collections, to meet the needs of this church. And in their travel, they ran into the Macedonians who, verse says, if you go back to chapter 8, uh, verses, let's see, uh, verses 2 through 5 says this, says this, that this church of Macedonia was in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Those two things don't seem to go together. Extreme poverty and yet their joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, as of their own accord. Right? No one was making them do it. It was what they wanted to do. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. That is radical language. Radical generosity on display in the people of God who love and care for the people of God. They were living in, a, in, in affliction. They were living in poverty. And because of the joy and their love for the saints, they, they gave beyond their means, not coerced to do so, but because they wanted to, they begged earnestly for the favor of participating in the relief of the saints. That idea of participation is saying, listen, that may sound like their problem in Jerusalem, but because we are bound in Christ, their problem is our problem. And we want to participate in that issue, in that need. You see, they weren't owners. They weren't consumers. These people were stewards. They understood that all that they had was not ultimately theirs. That all that they had was entrusted to them by God. And that simply all that they have was the result of them being recipients of the provision of God. And as recipients of God's provision and grace, they understood that they were called to be instruments. 
They wanted to participate. That the joy of receiving led to the joy of giving. They were stewards. And that's why they gave. They saw themselves as such. And the reason for their giving, the reason for that desire, is because they had received, right? You can't give something you do not receive from God. It's not possible. All that you have has been received as a gift from God. Right? So they understood that they were recipients of God's grace. And it was the grace of God that was the reason why they gave. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, speaking to the Corinthians, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Giving was an issue of grace in their life. They had received it. And now that grace that they had received was being put on display in their generosity. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that, by, that you by His poverty might become rich. They had received the grace of Christ. Right? Who left His glory and richness in heaven and took on human flesh and lived as a Galilean peasant, took on poverty in the Incarnation. Also that we might not physically become rich, but spiritually become rich. And so now being spiritually rich, they could be materialistically poor in the participation of the needs of the saints. What a powerful example. But understand this, that the motive and the reason for their stewarding and their giving was nothing more, nothing less than the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So when we talk about giving in any way, shape, or form, giving and stewardship of all of life is an issue of grace. It's not about church budgets. Someone say amen to that. Right? It's not about just buying buildings and building brands. It's not about, oh man, we made a decision and now we need the money for it. It's not about that. That's never what, what giving and generosity and stewardship of resources has ever been about. This is a discipleship issue. It's not about meeting budget. It's about making disciples. And disciples are motivated to give and steward their resources, not because of the budget, but because of the grace of God. It's a grace issue. It's an understanding of who God is and all that He's done to save us, that He's lavished out Himself upon us. That He has blessed us, as Jeremy read in the opening scriptures, and that we have every reason to live our lives with an open hand and say, in Christ we have all things graciously received, and now, receiving that grace, we become instruments of it, and we begin to dispense it toward other people as we are seeing the need. Giving is a result of grace. So, as you measure your own generosity, I want you to see that what you're really measuring is the grace of God in and on display in your life. Right? That's really significant to see. And the most frustrating thing when an offering is low or uh, uh, we've had a rough month, right? It's never, oh man, we're not making budget. Now, we all know we're human. We all have pluses and minuses in life and we want there to be 
a decent balance at the end of the day. But understand this, that when, when engagement in the needs of the saints is low, the most difficult thing about that, the most frustrating thing about that, this most sad and tragic thing about it, is that it may be an indicator that grace is not the operating principle that is driving all the, the simple and, and long-term short-run decisions of a particular community. That really when, when giving is low and there's no response to need financially, that it may be that there's, there's no gospel intake, there's no grace uh, being received that is motivating such, that really the biggest issue that we see is grace. It's grace. There's a value problem. We want to keep more than we want to let go of. That might be an indicator of that. So I want you to think about giving and generosity as a matter of grace, the gospel, at work in your heart. The way you've interacted and, and just thought about the fact that Jesus came and lived and died and poured out immeasurable favor, undeserving favor on you. This is a grace issue. If, you don't, if we'd stop the message now, I think we'd be on the right track. That giving is about the grace that's been poured into our heart. So you thinking like an owner? It's mine. Are you thinking like a consumer? It's all for me. Maybe a little bit of both. Right? Like portion of it I'm willing to give up, but the rest of it is mine. Right? Some of us sitting in the room are like, I give my 10%. I get 90. Right? Some of us are thinking, oh, like, oh yeah, I, I apportion off some of that for God. And the rest of it I can do whatever I want with. That's not what it's saying at all. Don't have a false sense of righteousness because you've given God a portion of something that He's entrusted to you. It's all His. It's all God's. He's the owner of all. And He's the giver of all things. And so we are simply managers and stewards who receive from Him in such a way to steward it and manage it in a way that gives Him, as we're going to talk about, the most possible glory. But we can't go anywhere down that road if it's not something that we interact with with the grace and the gospel of God in Jesus Christ. If you've not received grace from God, you cannot give the grace of God. Enough said. So stewardship also influences the way that we give. Look what he says. I'm going to plow through this. He says each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what I see. We're called to steward our resources by giving obediently. Each one must give. Each one must give. That giving to the needs of the saints is something that we must do. It's, it's an obedience issue. This is a matter of our submission in our heart before God. Right? Isn't that really at the end of the day what oftentimes discipleship issues are? Discipleship issues, sometimes we can hem and haw this and that, but at the end of the day, this is just about a struggle that our heart has to simply bend. The will won't bend to the way of God. Just won't do it. And we find and theologize our way out of doing what the Lord has simply called us to do. 
Each one must give. Or as Romans chapter 13 says, actually it might be chapter 12, contribute to the needs of the saints. Period. It's an obedience issue. So we steward our resources by giving obediently. The second thing that we see is we do so decisively. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. We steward when we make a prayerful, thought out, in cooperation with spouse kind of decision. Right? We, we make a decision. This is how much we are going to give in response to the grace of God. In response to the needs that we see of the saints. We're going to make a decision. Right? Prayerful, intentional decisions rather than impulsivity. Man, if there's anything that drives consumer spending today, it's what? Impulsivity. And oftentimes, because we're so impulsive with our spending, that we end up being impulsive with our giving or lack thereof. Right? So, impulsivity is killing us, right? Buy now with one click. Oh man, it gets me every time. Right? New book out. Whoop! Click the link. Whoop! There it is. Boom! Two days later. <laughs> buy now with one click. Am I the only weirdo? Or is buy now with one click a manipulative way to tap into my impulsivity on Amazon.com? Or, man, you're driving through Eastwood and the windows are down. It's summer. You're just chilling. Everything's good. You're just going to handle your biz, right? And then all of a sudden, is that char grilled chicken wings? Right, Joe? You know, they say it's town code. We've got to have the smokestacks out just to get the fumes out. I get it. The whole neighborhood's hungry now, right? Because they're getting a whop of char grilled chicken wings. So you drive past there and you're, all of a sudden your stomach's growling. You weren't planning on doing this, but you smelled those chicken wings. And so now you are dry, you are, you're heading somewhere. You're texting your buddy, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. Why? Because you're hitting OIP. Maybe that's just my life. Probably. 2.30 yawn. Kubal. Ugh, I need coffee. It's impulsivity. Did I pl- it's not in my calendar. It's impulsivity. Maybe you have your own examples. But what happens is, is when we don't decide, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to give. Right? We lose discipline. We lose decisiveness. And it's financial chaos. And so decisiveness demands discipline. So when was the last time you analyzed your financial transactions? Here's, here's one. Take the last three months of your bank statements and just start looking at it. Stare at it. And you, as you analyze it, because you're like, oh, wait a minute. We only spend $100 a week on groceries. Oh, yeah. Uh, entertainment, I, 50 bucks a week. How many times have we said that? And then you go back to the three-month analysis and you're like, babe, we got to stop Amazon.com. $130, Right? When's the last time you sat down? You think you're spending X, Y, and Z. And you all of a sudden, after three months, saying, where's all the money gone? Why are we in the red? What's going on? Wow, we spent $200 a week on groceries. Right? It's slipping through our fingers. 
Because we're not staring at it. We're not analyzing. We're not looking. We're not taking account for every dollar that has been entrusted to us. Not just analysis, but budgeting. When was the last time that you just sat down and said, here's our pluses and here's our minuses, and if it's negative, we have a problem? Budget. Decisiveness. And then follow through. And I think the key is always saying no to the impulses. That impulsivity will kill the decisiveness of our giving. And oftentimes, our indecision is our decision. That is, I've not made a decision about what I'm spending or saving or giving, and therefore, the decision that I've made is, whatever's left in my account, I'll give to Jesus. And oftentimes, more than not, it's not there. It's not there. Because we have embraced an ownership and a consumer mentality driven by our impulses. Have you decided in your heart how much uh, you, in submission to the Lord, are contributing to the needs of the saints and local church ministry? Have you decided in your heart? Again, you may have decided, no, I'm not doing that. But is that the right decision? It's really a grace issue. It's not a budget issue for us. We'll be fine. right? God's provided in every possible way for us. This isn't an anxiety over the budget kind of sermon. This is a grace sermon. This is a gospel sermon. Have you decided in your heart, is that the right decision? Is that really what you know the Lord is calling you to do? We give voluntarily. No one's making you give, right? We are in tax season, and it makes me mad. Raise your hand if you're mad about January through April 15. I'm furious. Now, some of you are like, dude, I'm getting like 25 Gs back. I don't know what you're talking about, right? Well, that never happens to me. You can, you can diagnose why. Here's the deal. We're in make me mad financially season where you do the 1040 and you're like, this is just wrong. Taking my money, right? Ownership mentality. You're taking my money. So we're in that season. You see, giving to the local church and the needs of the saints, it's not a spiritual tax. Someone say preach. It's not a spiritual tax, right? This is about the gospel. This is about grace on display in your heart and in your life. No one's forcing you to do anything, right? We're trying to lead you to this gospel generosity because it's directly related to your personal walk with God and our ability as a church and as a family to do some amazing things for the glory of God. It's not about anything other than that. So no one's trying to force you to do anything. This is about love. This is about care. This is about mission. And this is a voluntary thing. Inspired, of course, by the Spirit of God. Last, cheerfully. right? God loves a cheerful giver. This is one of the most annoying things that Doreen tells me when I'm doing something for her. As I kind of scowl in my lack of love and concern for her. She said, can you do this? She's like, God loves a cheerful giver. And it's funny, it never really makes me more cheerful. Uh, I'm actually a little more frustrated. But God is not broke. He doesn't need your money. He's rich. He's doing just fine. Right? You know what He loves though? When He sees His joy in you. When He sees His love and care and concern in you. You know what gave God joy to give you Himself? It was a joyful thing for God to pour out Himself to you. 
in all those blessings in Ephesians. It was, a, it was joy in God. And John Piper says this, love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Gladly. God loves a cheerful giver. So that's why we're called. And the reason is, and i got to speed up, we're called to give this way because God provides. And we can give in this way because God provides. The provision of God, right, is why we can give in this way. Right? When we look at giving away our resources, guess what? It's not a... a, a uh, we shouldn't be scared in doing so. We have absolutely no reason to fear that our needs won't be met. Look at what he says. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, He's able. What are we worried about? Fear in, in the financial realm is from a spiritual perspective in relationship to God is an irrational fear. He's able to make all things at all times abound to us, right? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Yes, talking spiritually, but I think we can walk in faith to know that every single need that we have will be provided for. We have absolutely no vulnerability in the provision of our needs as children of God. Right? His provision, right? Give as each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That for transition, this is the reason why we give this way, because God is able to provide for everything that we need. It's his provision that gives us that. And we also see that his provision is so that we can give, right? We give because God will provide, and God provides so that we can give. I love how those two come together, right? Uh, he says, so that you may abound in every good work. Why does God provide for you? So that you may abound in every good work. Why does God pro provide for you? So that you may be generous in every way. Verse 11. The ministry of this service is supplying the needs of the saints. So God's grace is given to you. His provision is given to you so that you can give. Not so that you can primarily own or consume. So the provision of God influences how we give. And last, the glory of God is the goal of our giving. Right? That's the end game. The grace of God, the basis, the motive Right? The provision of God tells us how we're going to give. Right? Decisively, cheerfully, voluntarily, and um, obediently. And now we see that the glory of God is the goal of our giving. Again, this is about worship. Look at the end. It says the ministry of this service is overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. When you give or when you worship with your wallet, Worship with your wallet. People worship in response to that. Right? Worship inspires worship. It's all about the praise and the thanking of God. Worship inspires worship. Right? Look at what it says. Um, By the approval of this service, they will glorify God. Is that what you want? Is that your ultimate desire in all things in life? Right, this church, we exist for the glory of God. 
All of us here have been made and saved for the glory of God. Our greatest joy is the glory of God. Every dollar in our pocket, every, every moment in our lives, every relationship, it's all for the glory of God, right? That's what we really want in this life. The glory of God. That's why God gives His grace. That's why He provides for our needs. So that He will receive praise and glory and thanksgiving. In that whole process, worship inspires worship. When you give, it inspires worship, thanksgiving to God. I'll never forget in the process of, of seeking the Lord about finding this location and place for us to serve and, and worship. And we, were, we felt like we were wandering around the northern suburbs. I'll never forget as we basically asked everybody, Lord, seek the Lord, pray, Ask God what He would invite you to, to give and to participate in this new church that's seeking a home. And I'll never forget, as I sat across the table from multiple business owners and other people who loved us, and every single time, in some way, shape, or form, the, the testimony that we heard was, was this. Well, it's not my money anyway. right? The giver was, was taking a steward mentality. It's not mine. It's God's. And so here. And then we would, as, as that worship took place, we would respond with what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, look at His provision. And then the next time, when somebody else had need, guess what Renovation Church is excited to do? As we've taken on, in increasing ways, uh, Sasha Halleck at Crew and Rainier uh, Martinez down at down at Missio and Iglesia Missional. When, when we see need, guess what happens? We get really excited about, hey, can we participate in that need? Can we engage in the joy that, that, that we received as stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us? Right? This is all about worship-inspiring worship. When we worship with our wallets, we worship with our lives, at least other people praising and worshiping God, and then they want to participate by giving, and the cycle goes on and on and on, and all the glory, praise, and adoration is given to Jesus, the Father and the Spirit. See, we have to have a vision for worship, a vision for the glory of God, more than our own temporal joys, more than our long-term security. It's about the glory of God. We Listen, I'm not saying don't save for retirement. I've spent the whole month talking with a financial advisor about the fact that I'm 40 years behind saving on some things. Okay, So I'm not saying don't plan and don't save, but I'm telling you right now, we don't need to be concerned about our long-term security. It's the people of God. We're doing just fine. What we need to be concerned about is the glory of God in our time, in our place, through our worship, with our resources, right? It's the glory of God that inspires us and that we long for in all of our giving. Worship inspires worship. And really, that's how we're going to end this series, right? And leaving the realm of money and stewardship, it's not just this that causes worship. Right? Our mission is to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. 
Right? We've said time and time again, we need to say more, whatever God is going to do in the world, He is primarily going to do through all of Christ's people. So we talk about giving every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County without them having to go or come anywhere. We talk about that. We're looking at each and every one of you and saying, look, it, it's your faithful life of worship that will inspire worship. They're going to hear and respond to the gospel as they see you hear and respond to the gospel. That's where our eggs are. That's where we're betting the farm on. Not on some program, not on some slick church building nestled into a community with some cool photos on the wall. And by the way, a great band, just saying. That's not, we're not putting our, our eggs there. It's about the life, the daily decisions that you make, the transactions on your bank statements, what you value most, how your families are, are growing and conforming to the image of Christ. How you relate to them. How you pursue God in the word and prayer. How your children watch you in the morning. Grab your Bible. And, and, and you're praying and you're seeking the Lord. It's your life that will inspire them to pursue that kind of life in God. As you respond to the gospel. Other people in this community will respond to the gospel. As you worship. They will worship. There's no other plan in the heart of God. Than to use his people to seek that end, so that He receives glory, praise, honor, adoration forevermore. All of Christ's people. Whatever God's going to do in the world, He's going to do through all of Christ's people. Your worship inspires worship. So please, grab a road map. Get in a missional community. Start asking the difficult questions. Make a decision in your heart about giving, but really make a decision in your heart about living and submit yourselves to the Lord for the mission is tethered to that. We are doing nothing as a congregation if we are not empowering and calling each and every one of you to live faithful lives of worship. So that is our plea in this series known as Disciples. Steward all of life to the glory of God and to the good of others. And imagine what God could do and would do through a people like us, right? Who place our trust in the Spirit's work to conform us to Christ and use us in the lives of people who need Christ so desperately. Imagine if we took this seriously. Imagine if we gave our lives to this could you imagine the kind of planting and partnering and ministry and leadership development, the kinds of things, the conversions and the baptisms, need I go on, the marriages that are restored, the parent and child relationships that are, that are mended, could you imagine the elders that could be developed, the, the men, women, and children that could be poured into, if we said, man, we are all in on this, we are given ourselves to Jesus and walking in faithfulness to Him. Could you imagine the kind of story of grace that could be told through the lives of Renovation Church and all of Christ's people in Onondaga County? Man, I'm going on and on. And you know what? We need to think along those lines. This is what God is doing. This is why we are here. This is why we give. This is why we serve. This is why we share. This is why we love and this is why we pursue God. Because in this life we have been called to a very specific mission 
to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel through your life. And I pray the Spirit quickens this kind of living in all of us, including myself. Let's pray. Lord, I've gone long and probably should have stopped ten minutes ago, but we trust your working in us. Lord, I pray that we would not manufacture any results here, but that the Spirit would simply be at work in the lives of all of your people here. And if there's anybody here today that is of you, that wants to know you and receive your grace, I pray that you would open their heart and pour your grace and kindness and love and mercy into their heart and awaken their soul and raise them from the dead and you, you unite them to Jesus. And I pray that all of us would look at 2017 and say, this is a year of being a disciple in an increasing way. Not an owner, not a consumer, but a disciple. May we follow Jesus more faithfully. In Christ's name, amen.